Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. I want to kick things off by just saying thank you, not just to my mom and my wife, who are both incredible mothers, but to all the women out there who sacrifice so much to make the world a better place. And I'd love to say a prayer of blessing over those people. So would you guys join me in that? Lord, thank you for all the moms out there, for all the aunts and the grandmas and the women who selflessly serve to make all of us more than we could be on our own. I pray for them in the craziness of life, in all of the pouring their lives into kids that they're doing, that you give them the energy, the grace, the patience, and the wisdom they need to continue making the world a better place for all of us. Would you bless them today? Would you fill their hearts up with peace and joy? And would you help all of them to know that they are loved, they are appreciated, and they're making an immeasurable difference? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in week three of a series called Reassembly Required, a beginner's guide to repairing broken relationships. And this morning, in honor of Mother's Day, we're going to talk about family relationships, kids and parents, and fixing the stuff that's broken within them. Because let's be real, there's almost nothing on this planet that has the potential to keep us sane or drive us crazy the way family does. And none of us are going to get it right 100% of the time. Being a parent has been the most rewarding and also impossibly difficult thing I've ever done. Last week, I was looking at pictures with my twins of when they were newborns, and Billy looked like he got in a boxing match in the womb that Tommy won. It was just, whew, and we're, we're flipping through. And I remember that a couple months before that day, we had taken a tour of the maternity ward where Jenny was going to deliver, because she's a type A linear person who likes all her ducks in a row. She wanted to to know like exactly where we were going and exactly what to do so we were ready. And as we walked by the natal intensive care unit, we had a discussion with the nurse about the very real possibility that twins could be born early with some complications that caused them to spend time in there. And the nurse asked, are they boys or girls? And Jenny said, boys. And she said, oh, little white boys are the worst. And I knew that she meant demographically, Caucasian male babies have the most difficult time surviving and getting healthy in the NICU, but I thought little white boys are the worst was a great line. So I said, oh man, tell me about it. I got a four-year-old one and he's awful. She did not have a sense of humor about that at all. Just dead eye glared at me and... uh it was neat looking at pictures and remembering that fun nurse and also having some visual evidence of some more gold star moments in my parenting career like when I caught diarrhea in my hands to save the carpet or vomit in my shirt to save a car seat or you know, my favorite one. We saw a picture of this and it reminded me maybe the worst moment of, of my life. When Jimmy was little, we took him to a pumpkin patch and he wanted to go on a pony ride. And Jenny demanded that I walk alongside him because that pony was getting up to, I don't know, two, two and a half miles per hour. And she didn't think the teenager who was leading it was going to be very careful. And so off we went, the three of us. And as we got about halfway there, Cupcake, that's the name of the pony, not the teenager. Cupcake farted into the wind and I got just splattered with horse diarrhea 
like all down my leg and I was wearing shorts and for a germaphobe, that is a fate pretty close to death. <laughs> Families, all right? Whew. They are challenging to be a part of sometimes, but we're all stuck with them. And they all look and act and function differently. And the sad reality of our world is that they're often frustrating because they don't function the way God created them to function. I know there are plenty of people in here this morning, plenty of people watching online who resonate with that. You're thinking, if there was one word to describe my family, that word would be dysfunctional. We all have some reassembly that's required in our family relationships. And what I want to do this morning is give you hope that healing can actually come in those cracks and broken spaces between family members. I want to give you a vision for how to begin taking the difficult steps toward it. And if you've been here for the past few weeks, the big idea this morning is not going to be surprising to you at all. If you haven't been here, let me catch you up real quick. We've been talking about the surprising secret to every relationship ever. It's kind of the the first little baby step we all need to take to bring healing to relationships that are broken. It's Relationship Repair 101, and it's found in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. Paul's talking about what being filled with the Holy Spirit looks like, the kind of life that it breathes into us. And then he says part of that means getting to this point where we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we love Jesus and because we know living like Jesus is the way we can be most fully human and fully alive, we actually put other people's needs above our own. We get our lives up under their burdens and carry those burdens for them. We live like life is a submission competition. And he talks about what that means in all of our most important relationships, in marriage and in our families and then in our workplaces. And we're going to talk about that next week. If you have a job or ever want one, if you have a school you go to, don't miss next week. But this morning, we're going to answer that question, what does a spirit-filled family look like? So if you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can turn it to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. You can follow along with the words on the screen or in the Revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids do, we have a whole bunch of them for a whole bunch of different ages and a whole bunch of different colors back at that next steps table. They're our gift to you. We love it when they disappear. Take one before you leave. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, this is a special present for all the mothers out there on Mother's Day. Paul writes, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Moms, you're welcome. Pull that one out whenever you need it. The Bible says kids should obey their parents because it's the right thing to do. And for all the kids out there right now who are thinking, and making the face at me that my kid is making at me right now, hang on. This is actually cool, and I'm going to explain why. The word that Paul uses for right here is not a black and white, in and out, right or wrong, binary type of a word. It's this Greek word, dikaios which is built off of this Old Testament term, Sadiq, that means a person who is as they ought to be. A person who is as they ought to be. Essentially, someone who's living the way God created them to live. And so this whole thing isn't about checking some obedience box so that you get put into the good kid category rather than the bad kid category. What Paul's trying to help us see is that obeying your parents actually helps life go better for you because that's how God designed the world to work. And he doubles down on that idea in verse two. He quotes Exodus 20, the 10 commandments. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment that comes with a promise 
so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Paul's like, you guys, this is the first commandment that God slaps a promise on. He says, if you do this, as you do this, your life is gonna flourish and it's gonna flourish for a long time. And the phrase that's in Exodus 20 and Ephesians 6 is actually a Hebrew blessing. It's, it's kind of like, if I can nerd out for a minute, it's like when Spock's in Star Trek says, live long and prosper. Right? It's basically that same thing. He said, hey, obey your parents and you're gonna live long and prosper. And the reason Spock said that is that Leonard Nimoy, the actor who played him, was a Jewish guy and he stole the rabbinic blessing from Numbers chapter six when the priests would, would do this with their hands and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. So Paul's saying, hey, look, you're gonna live long and prosper, I'm quoting a blessing for you if you live the way you're supposed to live. And I don't think it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the idea that doing this has some positive, pragmatic consequences in our lives. For starters, as a kid, obeying your parents generally means avoiding some sort of pain they saw coming, but you didn't. And listen, the reason you didn't see it coming wasn't because you're dumb. They just did see it coming because they used to be dumb. Like when your parents were your age, they were dumb and believe it or not, they would love for you to avoid some of the suffering they suffered. Another pragmatic consequence is that when we honor people with authority, they tend to use that authority to bless us. And that's true with parents, but it's even more true with teachers and coaches and bosses and people with power out there in the real world. And we learn to honor our parents, we learn to honor other people in authority, not in a barfy, suck-up, gross kind of a way, but in a respectful sort of a way. And when we show respect and honor to people with power, that tends to go real well for us. But there's some spiritual consequences to this too that go beyond just the pragmatic stuff and go beyond just children. In Ephesians 6.1, when Paul says, children, obey your parents, he's talking specifically to kids. But when he brings Exodus into it, the Ten Commandments, he's talking to adults, because the primary audience for the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is not kids, it's adults. This is smack dab in the middle of a section where God is telling the nation of Israel who he created them to be. He's giving them a bigger, better vision of who he is and what it means to live fully alive. And there are not nine commandments for adults and one for kids. He's telling the whole nation, like, this is who I made you to be. And all 10 of these are for everybody, everywhere, always. Everybody, everywhere, always. But the primary audience to whom Moses delivered the Ten Commandments was the adults in the nation of Israel. He told them, look, these are the things you need to obey, you need to model, and you need to teach to the next generation. So we gotta get this. Honor your father and mother is not just about our first 18 years. It's about every minute of our entire lives. So what does it mean? Like, what does it look like to, to honor are our father and mother. Well, it's a really critical key idea. And every single one of us needs to figure out what it means. Because I know some of us really struggle with it. And some of us came from families where you feel like, man, it is hard, if not impossible, to honor my father and mother. And some of you were sitting here thinking, hey, I'm an adult without any kids, so this message doesn't apply to me. I get to tune out, and I have bad news for you. You got to tune right back in, because unless you were magically hatched, you got parents. Like someone gave birth to you, and even if you don't know who gave birth to you, somebody raised you, somebody helped get you from where you were to who you are today, which means you got somebody to honor. 
And if we figure this out, I think it actually helps us move forward towards healing and a lot of the broken spaces in our own hearts and the broken spaces in our relationships. So I want to dig into the what, why, and, and how of it. What does honoring our parents look like? Well, here's what it doesn't mean, all right? It does not mean affection, admiration, obedience, or trust. Notice none of those words are in the fifth commandment, but honor is, and honor isn't the same thing as love, admiration, obedience, or trust. Commanding everybody everywhere always to love their parents, like in the sense of feeling affection toward them would be impossible, right? Some of us had bad parents. Some of our parents are bad people and we couldn't muster up love even if we tried. Some of them aren't trustworthy and it wouldn't be fair or wise to ask us to trust them. In fact, in some cases it would be bad and stupid. Some of them didn't do an admirable job of parenting us and and we couldn't admire them no matter how hard we tried. And even obedience shifts over time as our relationship with our parents changes. Obeying parents is not a command for everybody, everywhere. Always it's a command for kids who are under the authority of their parents who are not yet adults. Ephesians 6.1 could not be more clear about that. God designed kids to obey their parents, but the Bible also tells us that a time comes when we're not under our parents' authority anymore, where that relationship shifts and we move out from being under their authority and then we don't obey them anymore. And if we try to remain under their authority, we develop a whole bunch of weird pathologies. And that's a different message for a different time that some of the therapists in here can handle better than I can. But the Bible says that relationship shifts over time. But honor never does. Honor is an everybody, everywhere, always thing. So what does honoring our parents mean? Well, it's this Hebrew word kavod. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible. It literally means heavy. Exodus 20 tells us, make heavy your father and mother. For the sake of clarity, that doesn't mean you got to make sure your mom gets an extra cupcake or two out there after the service. Mom, just eat. I'm trying to make you heavy. That's not it. You can eat a few, but that's not what God is getting at here. Kavad means treat your parents as significant. Don't take that connection lightly. Put some weight and some importance on it, both in terms of your time and your effort. Treat that unique relationship as significant because it is. But why? And that's the question especially for those of us who had a difficult childhood, especially for those of us who could stand here and honestly say, I did not get what I deserved in the parenting department. Why in the world should I treat that relationship as significant? I think actually it's an important question, even for those of us who have a good relationship with our parents, because the reason extends beyond just that connection being fun, easy, or personally beneficial. And it's not any of the reasons so many people and cultures around our world will give us. Some people tell us we need to honor our parents because of the mystery of the blood. There's this blood connection to our ancestors, and so that's why we need to give weight to our parents. But the Bible's pretty clear that adoptive parents are fully parents and adoptive children are fully children. I mean, part of the beauty of the gospel is this idea that by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've all been adopted into God's family and we're co-heirs with Christ. And so it's not about the blood. It's also not this idea some people espouse that we should honor our parents because they're older and wiser than us. They are older than us, for sure. But um, we've all met some dumb old people, right? 
If you don't think you can be old and unwise, turn on C-SPAN. They are littering both sides of the aisle these days. There is no biblical connection necessarily between age and wisdom, so it's not that. And it's also not this idea that uh, that we ought to idolize our parents, put them up on a pedestal. Some of us tend to do that. We kind of idealize our childhoods and we we pretend that our parents were perfect because that's a comfortable thing for us to pretend. But that's not a biblically or sociologically accurate portrayal of anybody. And it's unhealthy to do that, to, to pretend that people were perfect who weren't perfect. I said it last week, I'll say it again. The weight of your worship will crush anything but God. So the question is, why then? Why should we honor our father and mother? And the answer, pretty simply and succinctly from Ephesians, is it's the right thing to do. It's part of the way God designed the universe to work. It's something that he knit into the fabric of humanity. And societies for the entire history of the world have understood this. I mean, 2,500 years ago, Plato wrote, when it comes to human decencies, the honor of parents is second only to the honor of God. So even if people haven't fully grasped this, we've gotten the idea that that, honoring parents matters. And partially that's because it's in a relationship to a parent that we learn how to respect the authority of another human being for the very first time. That doesn't happen because we want to. Trust me, I got little kids. Something in our sinful, tiny little hearts has no desire whatsoever to respect our parents' authority, but they're bigger than us, and so we have to because they make us. But we learn. We learn what respecting another human looks like. And we also learn, no matter how bad our parents were, or mediocre our parents were, we learn what it looks like to watch somebody sacrifice themselves for us. And this connection between parents and kids, no matter what our modern world wants to pretend, that connection has been the building block of every society for the entire history of the world because it's how God designed us to function. It's the way he created the world so that humans could learn how to be human in relationship with other humans. And if there's no honor in the family, there's no honor in the society. We know this. This isn't just a theological claim. This is a socio-historical one based on thousands of years of human history. We've seen it happen again and again and again and again with no other outcome ever. The society that destroys the family destroys itself. So honor matters inside of a family because it's how God created the world to work. So how do we do it? Well, the answer is, it's not going to be shocking to you guys. We decide that life is a submission competition. We look at our parents and say, you know what I'm going to do? Because of who you are, because of what you did for me, even in the middle of not all of that being perfect and some of it maybe even being painful and harmful, because of that, I'm going to put your needs above my needs. I'm going to bend my time and bend my talent and bend my heart toward serving you. And I have some really practical ideas about how we can do that in a minute. But first, I want to point out that that's not just a helpful jumping off point for all of us in this room as it relates to our parents. It's a helpful jumping off point for all the parents in the room as we relate to our kids. In fact, that's the next place Paul goes here. In Ephesians 6, 4, he writes, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. A couple quick thoughts about this. First, it's interesting to me that throughout this entire section, Paul continually moves from the person with less power in the relationship 
to the person with more power in the relationship, in that society. He goes from wives to husbands, from kids to parents, and this isn't an accident at all. Paul's trying to very intentionally and purposefully remind us that God's way turns the world's way completely upside down. Of course, the people without power have to submit to those in authority over them. They got no option. But Paul's saying, hey, remember, in God's economy, the people with power are invited to submit too. And they're invited to submit even more at an even greater level because that is the only pathway God has given them to exercise the authority he's placed in their hands in God's world, where we're accomplishing God's mission for our families and our lives, servant leadership is the only kind. And Paul kind of drives that home and he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. And he addresses this just to fathers because it's a deeply patriarchal culture to which he's writing. But this is clearly a command for mothers too. This is all parents, don't exasperate your children. Now to exasperate is to provoke someone to anger by using your power to dominate them. Exasperation is the result of the downward abuse of power, and it is a constant temptation for every human ever. Whenever we got a little bit of power, whenever we got a little bit of authority, we want to use it to push the people around us down so that we can prop ourselves up. And Paul's saying, hey, you're going to want to do that with your kids, parents, but just don't, okay? Not because it's not fun, not because you don't want to, but for the sake of Jesus. That doesn't fit with this whole serve people out of love for Jesus vision I've been talking about throughout Ephesians. So, so instead, of, instead of doing that, bring them up in the instruction and the ways of the Lord. Parents in here, we don't have a choice about whether we raise our kids or not but we have a choice about whether we raise them up. We live in a world that's gonna constantly tempt us to dominate and to use whatever power we have to push down. But Paul's trying to tell us that instead of doing that, what we ought to do is cultivate. We ought to get up under their burdens and use our lives to make their lives more. Power and authority can dominate or cultivate. And Paul says the more beautiful way is to cultivate. And so the question for all of us parents is, is how do we do that? And, and are we willing to do that? And my hope is that we would be because God's design for our families is they would actually be like this imperfect little snapshot of what his family looks like. We're meant inside of our families to get a vision of the unconditional love of God. This, this whole thing where he sacrificed everything, including his life, so we could be forgiven and set free. Our families are meant to be like this tangible vision all of us can grasp of what that really means for us. They're meant to be spaces that are full of truth and grace and love and hope and self-sacrifice. And I think we hear those words and we think, man, I wish my family was that. If I could make my family anything I wanted, that's, that's what I'd make. And I'd make it like this description the great English writer Rudyard Kipling once threw out. He said, a family shares things like dreams, hopes, possessions, memories, smiles, frowns, and gladness. A family's a clan held together with the glue of love and the cement of mutual respect. A family is a shelter from the storm, a friendly port when the waves of life become too wild. No person is ever alone who is a member of a family. It's this beautiful, poetic description of what families can be. 
But in fairness, Kipling's fellow countryman Winston Churchill once said, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. And we shall fight in the hills. Now, Churchill was talking about Nazis, but I don't know about you, I think Churchill's description is more accurate when it comes to families than Kipling's most of the time. At least my family will fight in the van, we will fight in the bedrooms, we will fight in the bathrooms, and we will fight in the kitchen. Like, I get this wrong at least as often as I get it right as a dad. I use my power to dominate when I ought to be using it to cultivate. Sometimes I exasperate my kids. I was remembering this week as I was thinking about this, this time a few years ago, the twins were like four and Billy started screaming in the middle of the night for no reason. He wouldn't even stop yelling to tell us why. And so Jenny left to go get him a glass of water or something. And I just looked at him and I said, do you even have a reason to be crying right now? He stopped crying and stared at me and said, I want a different grown up. That works out real well for me. It ended up being half of Jenny's night. But like, I exasperate my kids sometimes. We're never going to get this right, but we can try. And I think the key isn't batting 100%. It's admitting to ourselves and our kids when we, when we mess it up and then staying in the game, continuing to fight, not just to raise them, but to raise them up, to cultivate them rather than dominating them. Because I'm convinced what our kids need most is not a perfect example of a person they'll never live up to, but an honest example of a person who relies on a perfect savior. That's what they need. And parents, if we can humbly live into that and submit our lives to our kids by leveraging ourselves for their sake, we're going to see the fruit of it. If we're willing to sacrifice for them more than we demand from them. We will see broken things healed and strong foundations built. That's Paul's vision. That's what he's telling us a spirit-filled family looks like. And I know, I know some of us are like, well, that's a pipe dream because my family looks nothing like that. But I want everyone in here this morning to understand God created families on purpose and he put you and your family on purpose. Even if you're adopted, he knew who was going to adopt you. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He was there and he made you for the family that you're in. And I know that for some of us, we're like, thank you, God. And others of us are like, why, God? Why would God do that to me? Mike, why would God have put me in this messed up family? Why? And my answer to that is, I don't know. But I know this. You are the voice and the imagination of God wrapped in skin. And he put you exactly where you are because he believes you can make a difference there. And if you remember nothing else that I said this morning, if you take nothing else away, please let it be this one thing. This is the big idea. I can't control my family, but I can bless them. I can't control my family, but I can bless them. Would you guys all just say that out loud with me right now? I think it's cathartic for us. You ready? I can't control my family, but I can bless them. It's true. I shouldn't use whatever power I have to try to control and manipulate them and bend them toward my preferences and my will. And any of us who are in a family know this already. I couldn't if I tried. But instead, like, because this is what Jesus did for me and because this is who Jesus said I was created to be and it is where life is found, instead I should leverage myself for their sake to add value to them. Like, 
God's vision for our families is one where, where children obey their parents and parents cultivate their kids. And if we're honest, we know we're going to be constantly tempted to flip that back around, to use whatever power we have in whatever ways we have it to bend other people toward our will, to dominate them so that we can squeeze blessings out of them for ourselves. But Paul tells us in Ephesians, it just doesn't work that well. There's a better and more beautiful way, and that way looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I got some practical ideas this morning, like just a really simple paradigm for you of how we can actually live this out. And I think if we do it, like just us, what if just as a community that we call Revision Church, we decide, all right, I'm, I'm going for this. I'm, I'm going to give weight to my relationship with my parents because that's the way the world works. And God says, I'll flourish if I do. I'm doing it. I think if we do it, we will find that the broken pieces of our relationships get reassembled. We'll find healing and we'll find beauty and maybe, just maybe, we'll spill it out all over the world around us. And so here's, here's my method, Okay. I call it the barf method. Today, I want to invite all of you to barf on your mothers and barf on your fathers. If they've passed on, I would like for you to barf on their memories. I think it will be good for you and good for the world. And I know I can tell in your faces some of you are horrified right now. You're like, why are you always like this, especially on holidays? It's Mother's Day and there's a puke emoji on the screen. Why? Why? And I'll be straight with you. If I didn't make it weird, you wouldn't remember it. So moms, if you want your kids to bless you, you're welcome that I got weird with it this morning. This is what the barf method looks like. B is for bless. Find a way to bless your parents. Find a way to leverage your energy and your time and your emotion in their direction and serve them, even if you don't want to. Maybe especially in a way you don't want to. This week, I challenge you to find some way to get up under your parents' burdens and serve them and bless them. The A is for acknowledge. We live in a society where it's fashionable to acknowledge and process all the things our parents got wrong and the ways that that really messed us up. And I don't want to undercut that at all. I think that's a fair thing to do. And in some cases, it's a necessary and important thing for us to do. But I want to suggest that it might be just as valuable for our futures if we also acknowledge the things they got right if we're willing to admit that there are parts of us that are the way they are because of the people who raised us. There are things about you that are uniquely you and profoundly beautiful that are in some way a reflection of the people who helped you become who you are. And I think it's valuable to acknowledge not just what they got wrong, but what they got right. To acknowledge the good things in you that came from them. And so I want to challenge you this week to just think through that. Think about the things in you, the things about who you are that are the way that they are because of your parents. And maybe even tell them that, all right? The R is rejoice. I think all of us need to be better at celebrating than we are. I know I need to be a better celebrator. And we need to cultivate gratitude in every single area of our lives, but especially in our relationships. And part of cultivating gratitude to our parents is the acknowledging what they got right as they raised us. But, but rejoicing is deeper, it's like doing something actively to express gratitude to them. And so this week, I want you to find something that you're thankful for. And I realize for some of us, this is a challenge. Like, I want to acknowledge that. 
for those of us, again, who didn't get what we deserved in the parenting department, for those of us who have fractured relationships with our parents, if we have relationships at all, this is an act of obedience. It's not something we do because our messed up parents deserve it. It's something we do because God is good and he promises us, he promises us that this will bring flourishing to our lives. But I want you to find something that you're grateful for and then express it. Unexpressed gratitude expresses ingratitude. So find something that you're thankful for and find a way to express it to your parents. And last but not least is F. F is for forgiveness. This is the toughest one and the biggest leap by far. But I don't care who you are, where you've been or what's been done to you, you can do it because it's what Jesus did for you. You can do it. And you can do it even though they don't deserve it and even if they aren't sorry. It looks different with someone who's repentant than with someone who isn't. But you guys, bitterness is the poison we drink hoping it will hurt somebody else. And if you can release your bitterness toward your parents for anything, for all the things, the big things and the small things, if you can look inside your soul and get rid of whatever ill will you have toward them, I promise you, every last one of you, your soul will be set free. So I just want to invite us this Mother's Day to barf on our moms and barf on our dads and see what happens. We cannot control our families, but we can bless them. And I believe if we live into this, as we live into this, those parts of our family relationships we thought might never change just might begin to change. And we'll experience the life and the beauty God designed us for. Will you just pray with me? Lord, thank you for giving us each other. We don't always do a good job with the gift of each other in our families, and our friendships, or anywhere else, but help us today to begin seeing the people around us the way that you see them, to begin loving the people around us the way that you love them. Help us to see life as a submission competition. Lord, would you use us? Would you work through us to bless our families? Would you help us walk towards this idea of giving weight to our relationship with our parents? giving weight to our relationships with all the people around us so that we can leverage our lives to bless them and make them more. Lord, thank you for the way that you did that for us and help us in the difficulty and the struggle of it to walk toward that, even though it isn't easy, because that's exactly who you are. It's who you made us to be and it's what you did for us. Lord, we thank you for your love. Let us pour that love out all over the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.